Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I want to start off this morning with just a, a show of hands. Um, how many here have ever experienced the disappointment of an unanswered prayer? Okay. I think pretty much every one of us in this room at one time or another have experienced that. Um, and and it, sometimes even in very serious prayers, um, a marriage that is falling apart or, or a, a, a loved one or for a healing or, or something like that. And, and you kind of wonder, what's going on? I mean, God tells us to pray. And so I'm praying, why don't I get the answer that I want? Why is it that I'm not getting the thing that I'm praying for? And and an unanswered prayer can be not only crippling to, to a prayer life, it can be crippling to our faith. And I have known people who have walked away from faith because of unanswered prayer. Because God did not come through in the, some way that they had expected. And because of that, just kind of gave up on the whole thing. And that's a real serious question, and it has to do with everyday life. It has to do with the real stuff of life that we deal with. And, and Jesus, who understood us and understood life on this earth better than anyone, um, gave some instruction on this. And we've been going through the book of Luke and, and kind of looking at the life and teachings of Christ as, as Luke has recorded in his gospel. And, and one of the key things that we're looking at in all this is, is how can we, by better understanding Jesus, by better understanding his teaching, by better following him, how can we change the way people view the church? And I think prayer is a big, big part of that. Most of the things that we've been talking about have, have come down to very practical, this is what we can do this week. And we've kind of given you some assignments on that. Here's a way to love a neighbor. Here is a way to care for someone who's hurting in your life. And there's a lot of different things you can do. But we also must never forget that there is a, there is a cosmic spiritual side to all of it. Because all of our good works can be just good works. And people will like us because we're really nice to them. But it doesn't impact the kingdom of God. There's something more that is going on. And prayer is a big, big part of it. And changing the way that people view the church has not just to do with how we treat other people, but it's how we live our own lives. And it's not pretending that life is good and everything's perfect. And once you become a Christian, you never have any problems for the rest of your life. But rather, it is the truth of grappling with issues of faith and dealing with disappointment and still being confident in the trustworthiness of God. And there's probably no place in our lives that it impacts more than in our life of prayer. And Jesus knew that. And so he taught about prayer. It's in Luke chapter 11 if you want to follow along. And it really comes on the heel of his disciples asking them to teach him how to pray. And so he teaches them what we now call the Lord's Prayer. But immediately upon teaching them, he begins in verse 5 with this. He said, suppose you have a friend who goes to him at midnight, and you go to him at midnight, say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. Door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you. Even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. 
And the one who seeks finds. And, the one, and the, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of, your father, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, we said last week that Jesus often used stories, um, often used common everyday occurrences and events to, to teach deep spiritual truths. And these stories are called parables. And the word parable literally means to lay alongside. It's like Jesus says, okay, this is something that you know. This is something that you're familiar with. Now, when you think of that, I want you to understand it has to do with the kingdom of God. And to truly understand how God works in this world, kind of think of it this way. And so that's what the stories are all about. That's what parables are all about. They lay alongside something that's common, alongside a spiritual truth so we can learn. And very often, they are parables of comparison. This one is not. And here is the key. Here is the key to understanding these two parables. It's this last sentence. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Those two words, much more, give us a clue. Because this stories, these stories are kind of, well, that, that doesn't make much sense. What's the point of the story? And what he's saying is, okay, what I want you to understand is, this is what, something you might be familiar with. It's teaching you something about God. But it's not, this is what God is like. It's more, this is what God is not like. Because sometimes, sometimes in our prayer life, it seems like God is a sleepy neighbor. Sometimes it feels in our prayers when God doesn't answer them right away or doesn't answer them in the way that we want or doesn't answer them, period, as we would expect him to answer. Sometimes he seems like a neighbor locked up and not wanting to be bothered. Sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes, sometimes it feels like God is a father who doesn't know how to give good gifts. That he's a father when I ask him, I, when I ask him for, for bread, when I ask him for an egg, when I ask him for a fish, what it seems that I keep getting is scorpions and snakes. And Jesus says, what I want you to understand, here's why I'm telling you the story, because I want you to know God is not like that. Continue in prayer. But understand, it's not so much how you pray or what you say or the, the tone of your voice or the words that you use. Understand, prayer has less to do with you and more to do with the character of the God that you pray to. And what you need to understand about the character of God is he's not like this neighbor. He's not like the kind of father that would give the wrong kind of gifts. He is much more than that. And though sometimes it might think that, you might think that, and sometimes it might feel that way, he says, I want you to know God isn't like that. He is much different. He is much more, much more accessible, much more approachable. He says, God is much more approachable than he sometimes seems, because sometimes he seems far removed and distant. Sometimes he seems like the neighbor who is asleep in bed. Like God shouldn't, couldn't be bothered. Suppose you have a friend, he says, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Now we read that. And again, in our modern culture, we read that and say, well, what's the big deal? You no, know, it's not big. In fact, comes to him at midnight. I mean, like I'm just getting started. I don't go to bed till like two in the morning. You know, I just, I, midnight, that's no big deal. But what you need to understand is there was no electricity. In Jesus' day, oil lamps at the best, 
And when the sun went down, you went to bed. There was no electricity. There were no light bulbs. There was no late night TV. There was no Letterman. There was no Leno. You, when the sun went down, you went to bed. Pretty much that was it because you got up when the sun got up. Because you had chores and you had responsibilities. You had things that you had to do. And so for someone to come at midnight, that's like everybody, it, it, they are out for the night. Nobody's up in the house. And it helps a little bit more to understand what a house in those days looked like. Because it's not a house like we live in. It's not a three-bedroom, two-bath, you know. It, it, it was basically a two-room house. Actually, not even two rooms. More like two levels. And, and not like an upstairs and a downstairs. More like, you know, a, a little bit of a loft. Like six steps up with another. And so there was the, the lower level, which was during the daytime. That was kind of like the family room. But at night, the whole family moved upstairs, and that was the, the living space. That's where the kitchen was. That's where the bedroom was. And it wasn't a bunch of bedrooms. It was like one bedroom. So when he says, my, my kids are all in bed, it's like we are all in the bed. <laughs> and not only that, but that lower level at night, that's where the animals stayed. So they would live on the upper level, and they would bring in the donkey or the pig or whatever it is, the cow, whatever it is, and the, the animals would sleep downstairs. So when this guy gets a call at midnight, come and give me some food, it's like, now you're going to wake up the whole family. Because if I'm awake, my kids are going to be awake shortly. And anybody here who has kids knows you don't want your kids awake in the middle of the night because you're not going to sleep for the rest of the night. And not only that, but now you got all these animals, and they're down in that lower level, and who knows what they've been doing? You know, like they're in for the night, so you're going to kind of, you're tiptoeing around in the dark. And oh, <laughs> that's, that's what's going on here. And, and you don't understand that if you think in our terms. The family is in bed for the night. The bar has been placed across the door and everybody's asleep. Now, the other part that you need to understand culturally is that it all had to do with hospitality. If a guest came, he didn't call ahead. He just showed up. And for whatever reason, this traveler got delayed. And he didn't get there until 11, 12 o'clock at night. And it was unexpected maybe, but here he comes knocking on the door. And now you're, you are expected to provide a meal because he's been traveling all day long. But you don't have the food. So you go to a neighbor. And the other thing about it is, it's like the hospitality wasn't just one person. It was the whole village's responsibility. So if you don't have food, your neighbor is supposed to give you some because it reflects on the whole village if you don't feed them. So there's all these cultural things going on and there's all these personal things going on. And he goes to his friend and he says, I've got, I've got a friend. Um, he's come from out of town and I don't have food. And he said, and suppose the friend answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Sometimes... That's what your prayers feel like. Like God just can't be bothered. He's upstairs. The door is locked. He's sound asleep. And he doesn't want to be disturbed. And Jesus is saying, I know it feels that way sometimes. But that's not the case. That's not the truth about it. Sometimes it seems like your prayers are nothing more than talking to a God who is sound asleep, locked up in heaven, and not paying any attention to you. But I want you to know God is far more approachable and accessible than he seems sometimes. That he is listening. And that he does care. Because sometimes 
when it feels that way, you start thinking things like, well, maybe I'm not praying right. Maybe I'm not using the right words. Maybe I ought to pray in Jesus' name. Or maybe I ought to, maybe I ought to try a different prayer. Maybe I ought to pray kneeling down. Maybe I ought to pray laying on my face. Maybe I ought to pray standing up. Maybe it's something wrong with the way that I'm praying. Maybe I should have more boldness and faith. And maybe, I, maybe I should just claim it instead of asking. Maybe, 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 maybe. And, and just say, it's, it's not about the way that you're praying. It's about the character of the God that you pray to. And sometimes we take all that responsibility in ourselves and say, it must be something wrong with the way that I'm praying. Linus, the old um, Peanuts cartoon, Linus, who is the philosopher theologian in the group. There's one of my favorite strips. I remember reading this. He comes to Charlie Brown one day and he says, I have made an incredible theological discovery that if you pray folding your hands upside down, you get the opposite of what you pray for. And sometimes it feels that way. It feels like I must not be praying correctly. There must be something wrong with the way that I pray. But sometimes, simply, it's a matter of timing. Sometimes it's simply God saying, not yet. Not yet. You need to wait. You need to wait. It's not the quality of your prayer. Just remember the character of the God you're praying to. Isaiah wrote in his prophecy, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. What he's saying is that God is of the nature and character and honor that you can come to him anytime. And yes, he may sometimes seem like the neighbor who is sound asleep locked up in the upstairs room, but he's not. And he's saying, God is of such a character that, and of such honor and integrity that, that, that he's better than this neighbor who's upstairs. That he said, this neighbor may not come down and answer, not even out of friendship, but more out of duty and responsibility, or maybe just because you keep pestering him. But he says, God is much more than that. God is not like that neighbor. He is much more approachable. Not only is he much more approachable, but he is also more responsive than you think. That God is responding. He is not only hearing your prayer. He's not only um, approachable by you. But he is responsive to your prayer. Sometimes the answer is simply wait. Sometimes there's something more going on there. But he says. Understand sometimes it feels like God is miserly. That God has all these good things. But he's just holding out on you. And then the prayers become some kind of begging and pleading, please, 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 or, or maybe some kind of spiritual arm twisting, or somehow, maybe if I, if I knock louder or pray louder, maybe, maybe all these other things, maybe that's what we do, what will happen. And he says, listen, I tell you, even though he did not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Remember, this is a parable of contrast. He's telling his story, and, and, and notice, by the way, this is one of the most personal of all the parables, because a lot of the parables, Jesus talks about a certain man, a certain man traveling down the road was, was, fell among thieves and was beaten and left for dead. We looked at that one last week. A, lot of, a certain man went out to sow seed, but this one's personal, and again, I think it's the way that Jesus is telling the story. He's just trying to make a point. He says, sometimes for you, you go to a friend, you go to a friend, you go to the neighbor, and you ask, and you don't get the answer that you want. Sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes it feels like God has all these 
big box of cookies and he won't share with you. Sometimes it feels like that. See, there's a pattern you pick up, especially when you read the two stories together. There's a pattern of what will not happen and then what will, will, what will happen. He will not get up. He will say, don't bother me. My kids are in bed. But he said, what will happen is eventually he will give you what you need. And then he tells a second story. What will not happen? A father, a, a, a father will not give a snake instead of a fish. A, a father will not give a scorpion instead of an egg. What he will give is what is needed. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who, need, who ask him? See, there's this pattern. This is what will not happen, but eventually this will happen. This is what will not happen, but this will happen. And the pattern to it is that maybe the waiting time, sometimes the waiting time has to do with what God wants to do in you and me while we're waiting. Because there is something that happens in that waiting process that begins to change. And sometimes it's me that needs to change. I'm praying for my circumstances to change, but maybe what needs to change is in me. Isaiah 40, again, prophet Isaiah, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Now, what is the one word in that sentence that every one of us hate? Wait. That was about 30 seconds. <laughs> Seemed like forever. Did he lose his place? Did he forget what he was going to say? Did his iPad crash on him? <laughs> sure, people listening to the podcast later this week are going to go, what happened to the podcast? It died somewhere in the middle here. 30 seconds. And then that tension, a little bit of nervous laughter, a little bit of what's going to happen next. How am I gonna, what's gonna, think of that 30 seconds as 30 hours or 30 days or 30 months or 30 years. See, there's a tension in the waiting time when you're wondering what's going to happen next. And sometimes it's in that tension, in that moment of waiting, in that year or two or three or 30 of waiting that we're wondering, what's God going to do? Because sometimes it's not just about waiting. Sometimes it has to do with what happens to us in the waiting process. Every parent in this room knows it is not a good thing to give your child everything they want and ask for immediately upon asking it. Every parent in this room knows that. Sometimes they're not ready for it. My granddaughter reminds me constantly, when I get bigger, I can chew gum. Yes, I know that. When I get older, when I get bigger, then I get to chew gum. Yes, I know that. She keeps reminding me every time I'm chewing gum. When I get bigger, I get to chew gum. I know that. Not yet. You're not bigger. 
We've never defined bigger for her, by the way. <laughs> but every parent in this room knows that, knows that that's the truth. Good parenting wants their child to understand that you don't always get what you want. And you certainly don't always get what you want right away. That there is something called delayed gratification. There is something called patience that you must learn because that's life. And sometimes I believe what God does in the waiting process is he's waiting for us to change. That's what really needs to be happening. Notice he said, wait for the Lord. Those who wait for the Lord will gain the strength. Not those who wait for the circumstances to change. Not those who wait for something to happen. Those who wait for the Lord. Because, see, there's a really great danger that the thing that I am waiting for becomes the thing that I put my trust in. And when the thing that you're waiting for becomes what you put your trust and your hope in, then even when you get it, you will not be satisfied. The person who prays and waits for him wants to find a life partner, wants to be married, and finally gets that person and, and gets married, and then within a few months realizes that's a whole different set of problems. That the, the couple who prays for children, wants to have children, longs to have children, prays for it and gets the answer to the prayer, and now they don't get to sleep for 18 years <laughs> because they got what they prayed for. You see, there is something that God does in us. Years ago, I read a book by Ben Patterson called Simply Waiting. And he, he wrote this line, and it has stuck with me ever since. Sometimes, in fact, often, more important than the thing that we are waiting for is the work that God does in us while we're waiting. Very often, more important than what it is that we are waiting for is what God wants to do in us while we're waiting. There is a purpose and a process to our waiting. We come with a need. And when we come with that need, we think this is the thing that I need the most. And something happens in that dialogue, in that time with God, in that pleading and asking framework in which I begin to realize the thing that I thought I needed is not what I needed at all. What I really needed was this. And it just took me a while to figure that out. And very often, it's not even until retrospect that we see it and we realize it. So Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it, the door will be open to you. Lloyd Ogilvy puts it this way. He said, asking is like making the initial request. Seeking is taking time to think maybe God has an alternative. And seeking what that might be. And then the knocking becomes praying for the thing that God really wants us to be praying for. That's not bad theology. God is approachable, much more approachable than he seems sometimes, that he is responsive, much more responsive than you think. And he's not only approachable and responsive, he is trustworthy. He is much more, much more trustworthy than you can imagine. Because sometimes it seems like God is cruel and unfair. Sometimes it thinks the thing that we are praying for and, and, and what we get is just the opposite. Sometimes it feels like I am praying for a fish and I'm getting nothing but snakes. And I'm praying for an egg, but I keep getting scorpions. Sometimes it feels that way. You don't get what you want. 
And sometimes the answer is simply no. It's not wait. It's not even, okay, take some time to grow up here. Sometimes the answer is simply no, and there's no reason for it. There's no explanation for it. It is simply no. And in those moments, I've got to trust that God knows better, that he's got a better sense of what needs to happen in my life. How many here are country music fans? I'm so sorry. <laughs> but those of you who are, probably know a number of years ago now, Garth Brooks came out with a song. It was called Thank God for Unanswered Prayer. I think I'm not a country music fan. I think that was the title of it. But he wrote it based on his own experience that he actually went to, a, like, I think it was a high school reunion, and there was this girl that he had all through high school just, uh, just adored from afar and prayed that God would somehow make her his wife. And then he met her, you know, at a high school reunion years later, and he thought, what was I thinking? Thank God for unanswered prayers. You may be somebody's unanswered prayer, you know. Thank God. No, he said, because... <laughs> took you a little while to figure that one out, okay? Because sometimes the things that we're asking for just simply aren't the right things. And God just knows better. Now, that's one thing if you're praying about having a girlfriend and wanting her to be your wife. It's another thing when you're praying about something very, very serious. Like someone who is dying of cancer. Or a family that's falling apart. Rebellious child. And you wonder, God, why don't you answer? Because this is definitely one of those prayers that ought to be answered. And still you get the no. And you wonder, you wonder, why? Why is there a no? And that's when you simply have to trust. You'll never get the answer. I've had a few of those. Just don't know why. But he says, you have a heavenly father. And he loves you. And he cares for you. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? Saying God is not being unfair and God is not deliberately being cruel. In fact, James put it this way, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask you. Because you see, ultimately what God wants to give you is himself. Because ultimately, that's what you need more than anything else. And there will sometimes be those times that you just don't get the answer and you'll never get the reason why. And you simply have to trust. About 18 years ago now, my 13-year-old nephew was diagnosed with bone cancer. And for three years, he went through chemo, he went through operation after operation, and eventually died. I don't know why. Because we all prayed desperate prayers. And my sister and brother-in-law, to this day, still have those moments, those days when the ache is there. And I remember my sister saying something to me after David had passed away. She said, I've learned something. 
that when God says yes, it's because he loves me. And when God says no, it's still because he loves me. And I don't understand anything more than that. But I know he loves me. And that's the point that Jesus really wants to drive home. That unanswered prayer, sometimes it's just simply a matter of timing. Sometimes it's a matter of growing up and maturing. And sometimes there's just no answer. And then you've got to just trust that he is a good and loving God. That he knows how to give good gifts. And when he says no, though it may not make any sense at all, it's not because he doesn't love you. Because 2,000 years ago, an unanswered prayer given by a man in a garden, left all alone, praying, Father, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. A desperate prayer, prayed by the purest heart that ever lived on this earth, with one who had the most clear understanding of the Father's will in this world, and yet he prayed, if there's any way possible, and God the Father said, no. No. But because the Father said no, He went to a cross and He paid a price so that you and I could be forgiven, could find restoration, could find healing, could find new life, could find hope for eternity. Because the Father said no. And I don't understand some of the no's that I've received in my life. But I know that when God says no, it's because He loves me. And you may be here this morning, and you're struggling. You're struggling with your faith. You're struggling with your prayer life. You're wondering if it's even worth doing it anymore. Because you just seem to keep getting no's, and you don't understand. And I don't have the answer for you this morning. I don't think it's that easy. But I do know this. You have a God who loves you. Who sent his one and only son to pay the ultimate price. And was willing to take the no. So that you could have life. So here's the thing. Bring it all down. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Don't stop asking, don't stop seeking, don't stop knocking. Because you know that your heavenly Father is much more approachable and much more responsive and much more trustworthy than you can possibly imagine. And whatever His answer is for you, it will be because He is good and because He loves you. We've been giving out each week these change the way people view the church assignments and and, and the thing that I want to add to it this morning, because we've given a lot of very practical, here's how to love your neighbor, here's something that you can do, okay? What I want you to do is add to all of the good things that you have hopefully been putting into practice through the series, add to your good deeds, bold prayers. Because ultimately, there is a spiritual side to all of this. Ultimately, there is a, only a God side to it that only He can do. And so, yes, keep doing those good things. Keep being that good person. Keep loving that enemy. Keep, 
Keep caring for those who are hurting around you. But with every bit of your good deeds, add to it bold prayers. And just keep praying, God, if there's any way that you can use this for your kingdom's sake to bring life to somebody else, I want to be a part of that. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.